Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real. Guys, it is your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name is Chance Solem Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And uh, Noah, should we tell the people that we're looking at each other for the first time? Do they care at all? Ever. Um, well, so yeah, so Chance and I uh, have entered what, the 21st century here? And sure. I decide instead of what is essentially just phone calling each other every week and then overlaying our uh, our vocal tracks, uh, we're well, now doing... That'll still happen. <laughs> right, that'll still happen, but now we have Skyped or we FaceTimed each other. So I'm staring into those cold, dead eyes as I make my <laughs> point. Uh, I'm hoping that it'll... In- will increase perhaps the crispness of the banter, but mostly I just get to look at, at you and your natural habitat. So that's What's an advantage up? all to itself. Um, Noah, what brings us here today, would you say? Um, Murder. We're, we're pissed. We have been slighted by our close friends and we seek revenge. And it just so happens that one of the some of the people that you you don't want to uh, wrong are people who already killed people for a living before, and oh, definitely, you don't want to like <laughs> piss off a professional assassin. And now that you've wronged them, they're not going to not kill more. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to call this genre that includes Kill Bill, Payback, and John Wick the "you did me wrong, and now I'm going to kill the entire supporting cast" genre. <laughs> Good. I like that. That really is what happens. All right. We're going to get into uh, Kill Bill for starters. Is that the most high profile among these? For sure. I would, I would love nothing more. Okay. Um, we are talking about Kill Bill Volume 1, the 2003 Quentin Tarantino movie. Um, I'd never seen it. I'd never seen any of these movies. How did you avoid this movie? I don't know. Um, I like saw both of these in the theaters. My mom's always had a big, like, Tarantino aversion, so I don't think I was, like, encouraged to run off to these when I was 13 and 14. Yeah, my parents are sort of anti-Tarantino, too, I think. There was, like, a, a moment uh, in my childhood where my father referred to it as, like, pulp fuction in front of me, <laughs> and my mother was, like, very annoyed about that. She was like, Rod, that's no better than what Quentin himself would say. Yeah, that's what she said, a word for word. <laughs> um, yeah, he really is this like weird. I feel like he's 20 years later, he's still like, are violent movies making our kids violent? Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> right. Oh, he's definitely like the poster child for movies that are probably like a half step too violent. Yes. Um, man, only a half step? Well, Kill Bill is like, it's pretty, it's pretty serious. It is. I feel like Kill Bill is kind of an interesting, like, transitional movie in, in Tarantino's filmography. But we can talk about that. What do you mean? Kind of moving from, um, 
like ensemble based stories set in the real world to pastiche massive like bloodshed pastiches <laughs> <laughs> interesting yeah. that's a that's a great i think read um and it only took him six hours to But I would argue that turn. Quentin Tarantino movies have always been a certain level of, like, bloody pastiches. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Oh, well, let's just start with Reservoir Dogs. I mean, Jesus. Right. <laughs> so. so, like, maybe he's become more cartoony in his, like, at this point. Like, if I can make sort of a, a comment on where I think Tarantino is, I think he's at the transition between like, you know, low budget filmmaker and just like indulgent, like auteur snob. Yeah, absolutely. I think he likes to think of himself as both those things, which is right. like how you get these, uh, these grindhouse movies made for $50 million. Oh my God. The grindhouse series should have been made for 10. Yeah. <laughs> I would argue none. What had the conceit of 10? It, like, didn't need 50 right. a piece. <laughs> it's true. If you don't know the conceit of... Uh, the conceit of all these movies is very simple, even as the movie... We can talk about this. The movies then sort of have to go out of their way to muddle a simple conceit into a two-hour runtime. But the conceit is very Two simple. of them. Yes. Um, uh, she wants to kill Bill. <laughs> she the uh, the main character Uma Thurman, uh, Beatrix, the bride, the Mamba. She goes by many different names. Um, we see her uh, being supposedly killed by Bill while pregnant. Oh, on the her, titular Bill. The titular Bill uh, on her wedding day, and then uh, four years later she comes out of a coma and really wants to kill Bill as well as the other four members of the, and I want to get this right because it's such a cool name, Quentin, Deadly Viper Assassination Squad, <laughs> um, which is uh, what? Lucy Liu, Daryl Hannah, Vivica Fox, and Michael Oh, Madsen. love Vivica Fox. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then the movie proceeds in these weird sort of chapters, like most Tarantino movies, yeah. that are her interacting with, each particular person that she's going to inevitably assassinate. Not too long ago, I was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Then one day, I decided to leave, settle down, and start a new life. But when I tried to get out, they did me in. Now, in the first movie, uh, this is where you can kind of set me straight, because I watched these, like, back-to-back. I think I went to the store to get more beer in between. Um, So I don't really know where one ends and the other begins, but I think in the first movie, you never even see Bill. Do you only see Bill's hands? Yeah. You also don't know why he did it in the first one. Like, that's the interesting thing about this movie, is uh, you know that if you've read about it, Tarantino set out to make one movie here and then they were like well, we're not putting out a four-hour movie so kindly cut these in half it's not as though that one is like a contained thematic experience it really is just half don't you think yeah there's really no i mean like one of the chapters ends but there's no like overarching narrative satisfaction out of seeing just one of them no no uh i mean on rewatch i think it would be perfectly fine how did you feel 
I mean, like, I knew what was going to happen, so I was fine. I could appreciate, like, the artistry of it. But yes, it feels, like, very, if we can sort of tip our hands pretty early, it feels pretty unnaturally chopped in half. Yeah, I would argue that I think they could have just been, considering how long Tarantino's movies are now anyway, they're all two and a half hours. I don't see, you just take out a couple of the vignettes. There doesn't even necessarily have to be four members of the Deadly Viper assassination There could be two. There could easily be one, two and a half to three hour movie, I think. Um, But anyway, so maybe... Maybe I'll put this question to you because Sir? I'm sort of trying to figure it out. And I think the stars of all these movies um, have something in common. Do you think this is a good performance from Uma Thurman? What do you think she's doing here? I think the way in which she delivers Tarantino lines is like interesting, but ultimately I do not think like critically it's like an amazing performance. I think she was just given some really odd dialogue to say, and she just like did her best to get through it with what seems like little direction in her performance. She's definitely asked to do incredible things physically that your average movie star could not do. So I think that's a lot of what she brings to the table. Right. She's very limber. She's extremely limber. Yeah. She can kick people in the head and all that. And she's like a six foot one tall woman. Um, Uma Thurman, yeah, she's quite a, a presence in that way. Um, yeah, there's something to the way that she... I was trying to think about, like, what would happen if you put, like, I don't know, like a Jennifer Lawrence in a movie. Lines of Jennifer Lawrence would, would ever do this movie, necessarily. But I think that, uh, you know, the thing that Uma Thurman does have is, like, that sort of... She, when she, like, sweats when she fights and she gnashes her face and it's very... She's not too, like, stuck up about how cool it is, you know? Oh, yeah, she's going... I mean, that's that's what's entertaining about this movie, um, is that everyone in it... It's a Tarantino movie, and that's, like, why Tarantino movies are inherently watchable, is because you're always going to see big-name actors, like, giving their all. Like, yeah. maybe what they're doing... What hang the, the difference between a good Tarantino movie and a bad Tarantino movie hangs with Tarantino and mm-hmm. the story he's crafted. Mm-hmm. It's I the only problems I've had with his last like four movies have been script related. Yeah. It's never the performances because you're always gonna get something interesting out of somebody, but then I, what she's given is like pretty ridiculous. But she goes for it. Yeah. I think similar to Gibson and Payback, both of them sort of know how ridiculous it is, so they get their winking moments. And then Keanu is the opposite of that. He just Keanu, no- who was literally called out of <laughs> retirement, basically. Yeah. Yeah. To play an aged version of like his former action heroes. The joy of that movie is that he is not in on the joke. Um, but he's but he's giving it his all though, which also sure. we can get to that in a second too. Yeah. But uh, that the, again, these movies I think all hang in are like are the actors having fun? Yes, that's true. And I think all three of these movies, you can unequivocally say yes. Absolutely, I would agree with that. There is a, there is a certain pleasure to watching this movie? I think in that he has not yet gone back in time tarantino like these are still characters who it's silly to say it's original because of uh the genre riffs everything about these movie is like a kung fu western exploitation genre riff um right. but 
it's like the characters are still making decisions like under their own power as people in the present day. They're not like right, not do- just to serve the narrative. Yeah, they're not doing things because like it's the Holocaust or it's the antebellum South. Um, right. So like, there's still like a pleasantness to that. I think. Right. Um, they don't say the N word very much, which is nice. Yes, mercifully. You have to admit, though, that 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 scene with Lucy Liu when she's in like the dojo is like maybe one of the most well-directed action sequences ever though. You mean when Beatrix fights the crazy 88? Yeah. Or, yeah. It's in, that's it's unbelievable. Well, the thing that's so in, that's so crazy about it uh that I thought was like vintage Tarantino is I mean not only is it amazing to watch her fight these dozens of people and just chop them to bits but then of course <laughs> you get the tarantino look where she looks back on the carnage and there's just like bodies <laughs> spurting on the floor and she's like yeah, leave your limbs everywhere <laughs> yeah, like people looking for their pieces it's like unbelievably bleak he has the i mean you know he's a stylist so he loves the idea of this sort of comic booky movie where you kill like an insurmountable amount of people but then he has the audacity to set it in the real world and show you the bleeding body parts after the fact oh yeah which is no, crazy he's a real like um he's a provocateur mm, how about that well that's the interesting thing about tarantino like that's the the question when i go into his movies like are you an actually a good filmmaker or are you just like an edgy filmmaker you know, like, I think there's the last two, like, I don't know. We talked about Hateful Eight. Hateful I Eight, didn't I decide that was bad, bad? We did. I'd be interested to watch it again and see what I thought, but I just, like, walked out and was like, you just tried to fuck with me, Tarantino. I don't take kindly to that. Right, and he didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. And this movie still, unlike Django and Hateful Eight, it still has the sort of, I think because he has a lot of reverence for these these genres in a way, um, he still has the grace to show you 88 people being chopped to bits and set the climactic <laughs> fight scene uh, out in the snow in just like a quiet, beautiful scene. And the same sort of thing happens in uh, Volume 2 where like there's the heinous violence of the Daryl Hannah showdown and then her ultimate uh, fight with with Bill is, is, is very quick and, and graceful. Um and that stand, I mean, regardless of how you feel about the violence, like part of what's gross about Django and Hateful Eight is just that, like, they end in like a house full of blood, and that's like the end. You know, though the Crazy Eighty Eight scene is like very troubling, like visually. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was more troubling, like with Vivica A. Fox, like in her house, yeah, with like her kid there, yeah. Like that's such a strange. I mean, it's a moving and like well done juxtaposition. But at the same time, it's just, like, so upsetting if you, like, think about it. Well, that's why I had trouble with, like, two of these movies. So this one in John Wick, like, the idea of the dog getting killed, I didn't like that. Right. And so, like, it's it's weird where these movies, like, toe the line between, like, serious drama and, like, goofy action movie. Right. Well, man, do we want to make a turn here? I would love to turn. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. 
The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy, things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too, things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say... I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? ...and Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. So what do you think? What do you think about Kill Bill? You think this is uh, you think this is good good? I think it might be good good. <laughs> um, I think it's a well, but it's not. It's half a well-made movie. It's true. Oh. You think if it were if God if one if one and two were together in one movie, then it would be like the best Tarantino movie. But it's still very much a Tarantino problem that they are not that way. I'm gonna give it the so- the softest of good goods. But you think it might be good bad? I think it could be bad bad. You think it might be bad bad? I don't think you've justified that. I think because it's half a story and it's not satisfying. It's like not that good of a movie. <laughs> And then because of, like, all, like, the serious drama of it not anchored by, like, narrative sort of reveal at the end, it almost seems like it might be too much by itself. So I think it could be bad, bad, but I'm going to give it a soft, just the softest, a feathers on the other end of the scale, a feathers weighed good, good. Should we get to payback? Oh, I would love nothing more than to get to to payback. A movie that opens with a uh, oh man backroom doctor <laughs> sterilizing his scissors in whiskey and then downing the whiskey. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. This movie, like from the first shot, you like you know it's playing for keeps. Yes, but that it might not know the rules of the game. Oh, it definitely has no regard <laughs> for the rules. <laughs> Much like Mel Gibson's. Porter. Right. So, yeah. Um, so, can I do the, the synopsis? By all means, my friend. So, yeah. So, we start with this scene of this, yeah, this work-for-hire doctor who's clearly been dis- uh, disbarred or whatever. They're pulling bullets at a Mel Gibson. And then it cuts to however long later. And he's back in some version of, like, a Chicago-type urban setting. Yeah, um, both uh, John Wick and... Well, John Wick was set in New York, but John Wick and Payback, they might as well just be set in Gotham, you know? Right. Yeah, Yeah, they're set in, like, a dark urban center. Right. And so he, like, returns to town, and what I love about this movie is it doesn't tell you anything. It just shows you a lot of, like, things, and you can sort of make of it what you want. Like, in the opening sequence, you basically see this montage of him, like, 
What would you do if you just like got an attraction after being shot twice within an inch of your life and you're finally back out there and it shows like his process to like get back on his feet. Which mostly involves just like stiffing people in the service industry. <laughs> right. He like he just like fucks people like towards a like a you know, a menial sort of existence by which he can exact his titular payback. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, so you find out fairly quickly that that Porter, the only name we know him by, uh, has been screwed over by, I wouldn't really say friend of his, but just an associate he already knew was unreliable. Uh, right. do, you know, do you know that actor's name? Because he was going for a real Busey thing, but... He was he was going full Busey. That's a great way to describe him. He's terrible. Yeah, it, it, it both made me wonder, like, why would you try, like, who would want to try to go full Busey? Who's not Busey? What kind of whose choice was that? What kind of life goal is that to have? Um, so of course, uh, want to be Busey? Fucks him in this deal where they're like trying to steal a case, a laundered money from some gangsters in Chinatown, uh, because oh, because it's this weird thing where want to be Busey's trying to buy his way into something called the syndicate. Um, oh, the and- outfit you mean? But yeah, there's this weird sort of like crime corporation. Yeah. That like he's in a, like the way it works is you sort of buy, you like put down a deposit. It's like a timeshare. You like put down this deposit and they sort of like take care of you for like a period of time. Sure. And you like do their like the like bidding or whatever, I assume. Yeah. And so. So yeah. he kind of has to kill his way through this pyramid scheme of vice. Not many men know what their life's worth. I do. 70 grand. That's what they took from me. That's what I was gonna get back. By your metric, a big part of what makes these movies good is whether the star is having fun. Mel Gibson is having the time of his life here. This just feels like a day in the life. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is what I expect Mel Gibson to do. Like if if anyone were ever literally to shoot him and take all of his money, like this would be his next play. This is probably what Mel Gibson thinks he has to do to get back into Hollywood. Right. Did you notice that his new movie that that stupid looking war thing like yeah. Hacksaw Ridge yeah. is now being like marketed as from the director of Braveheart. And they're not even saying Mel Gibson. I don't think he ever starred in any movies. I don't think we know his name. Yeah. So he, at this point in 19... I think I said 98 earlier. It's 99. Um, He still really has, like, movie star gravitas. Like, so much of this movie is just, like, walking into a room and not taking any shit from anybody. And you being like, I believe it. As Ruxin says on the league, he's really got those meaty clackers on this one. (laughs) I'm very in the spell of Gibson. I think halfway through this movie, maybe not quite that far, the setting... When it's set, the supporting cast, when it introduces the supporting cast, is flailing. It has no idea, like, how to make a solid movie. Well, this movie has, like, a sort of assorted history, because there is, like, a director's cut of this movie that was originally, like, the one he pitched to the studio, and they were like, no, you may not. (laughs) And he had to, like, severely recut it. Yeah, it's on Amazon now. And it was on uh, Netflix for a while. And I had watched it, like, a number of years ago. and was just like, that's not how that movie ends. Like, what the fuck just happened? Because I've seen this movie. This used to be, like, prime sleepy TV for me. Oh, nice. And uh, I've seen this movie maybe 50 times. Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> I know it back and forth. Damn. Um, but yeah, but the I don't think the director's cut definitely gives more meat to all the characters. Um, but I don't know that it's a better movie. Yeah, because as is, I think like Busey is supposed to be your your. Again, this is not Gary Busey, but we're just calling him that. Um, Wait, let me find his real name. Okay. Uh, while you do that, um, you know, he's the guy. Greg Henry? Sure. Uh, he's the one who, upon whom revenge must be taken. And right. So he is killed, and then it's just sort of this, like, string of, like, anonymous crime bosses who I don't find that entertaining and aren't given that much character and we don't have like this innate reason to think that they need to be dispatched right um, other like, than they're quote unquote evil and they wear like dark clothes yes and they haven't given him his $70,000 yet but there's no real reason that like they owe him $70,000 which is also sort of an interesting thing no yeah right none of them know who he is or what's going on Right, if, if he just really, like, explained the situation in terms, like, a little bit more advanced than give me $70,000, <laughs> this guy took it. Yeah. Like, if he explained his story the way they do in the, like, the flashback, they'd be like, oh, like, sorry, guy. Porter's Here's not the money explainer. back, and we'll kick out Resnick. And then the other weird thing about this movie, the really weird thing is that I have no fucking idea when it's set. It took me until halfway through the movie to find out it was set in the mid-70s. Her heroin dealer, his wife's heroin dealer, looks like Adam Duritz. Um, I don't think it's supposed to be, like, in a time. They refer to Nixon as the president at one point. And there's no, a, they make a joke about Nixon, but it doesn't say that Nixon is the president. There's an Ali fight on in the background of those. Like, it's, it's supposed to be, I think it's striving for its Tarantino sort of present. Is it? Yeah, I mean, like, the bomb attached to the phone and, like, the, I guess that's kind of 70s. But, like, I don't get that from any of the clothes. No, nobody... Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, nobody's haircut. Nobody's haircut. Yeah. No, I think it's, like, in a weird, like, 70s now. Oh, okay. It's now what it needs to be now. Yeah. It's just such a odd... Like, in the cars, too, are, like, 90s. No, yeah, you're right. It's just a tenuous grasp on, like, noir in general. They're just kind of oh, like, yeah. why don't we light Gibson like Humphrey Bogart and end with voiceover, and that should be good. Right. And I, for you, it seems that is. <laughs> I think it has such simple ambitions, and it's to be one of these movies of, like, watch a guy get revenge. Take much. And I think that it sort of hits all the marks that it has to do to sort of have to be this kind of movie. It's like sort of a five act structure, like act one, what happened to me kind of thing. And here's like the expository details. Then three episodes of like people from his past and then like the resolution in Denouement where in this one, it's sort of like they go off into the sunset. But it's it sort of has that noir thing and if you hit all five of those to me i think you've done a fine job oh you're just like sort of shrugging i'm shrugging it didn't come back yeah sorry we're doing it some video you don't let to shrug <laughs> as if like that's gonna make your case on a podcast um hard hard good good from the end man oof. um i wouldn't say that it's uh not watchable it's certainly watchable it is definitely um a movie where i asked many times 
what is this movie? Um, <laughs> and like normally when you're asking that through the first hour, it's good. If you're still asking it in the second hour, uh, something is uh, not quite right. <laughs> so it's going to be a bad good for me. No, I'll join you there. There's no way this movie's good. Good. Thank um, you. But it's like pretty. It's like pretty good though. It's right. like pretty entertaining. It's it's definitely like closer to good good than it is to bad bad on the bad good scale. John Wick. Uh, I would love nothing more. I don't know what was wrong with me that I thought I was anywhere close to a complete being having not seen this movie. <laughs> I was walking through life under the uh, misimpression that I was doing okay having not seen this. No, it was a mistake. You no. were living an incomplete life. <laughs> no movie. I, there are very few movies better suited to our podcast than this. This is right uh, up our alley, I think. Oh, uh, this is 100%. This is the these this is the movie that like defines I think the line between so many different categorizations. Exactly. Cuz this is a movie in which the filmmakers have tried to take the essence of a bad good movie <laughs> and add like enough uh, like fake style and like decent choreography <laughs> to make it good good and I'm really not sure if they pull it off. Right. But like you also sort of hate yourself for believing this could possibly be a good good movie exactly. because it stars Keanu Reeves who has no idea that he's in a bad movie. Right. Right. But it's an allu- it's a spell that worked. This movie made like a 100 million dollars and there's of course a sequel on the way. Oh yeah. Uh, uh John Wick Chapter 2, which if there's <laughs> I really got to say though I can't be rooting too hard for a sequel because, like, that's really squeezing the piggy bank dry. Oh, there's, there's no. This is like this movie. I would put in the category of, and we can argue about whether this movie's good too. Is Boondock Saints? Oh, yes. Like a super stylistic, like action movie that has like a pretty decent story and some pretty like fascinating performances. But is ultimately like probably just a an overblown bad good movie. Yes, absolutely. Because like, and I think that the sequel proved that like it was dumb fucking luck. This movie worked. <laughs> That's a great point. I think you're describing John Wick by extension Lightning very well. Lightning Strikes Part Two. <laughs> oh man. But I think they found, you know, and this movie just hangs in the fact that, like, Keanu Reeves is a, he's not a good actor, but he is such a watchable actor because anything could happen, but in a very small window of emotional rage. Because it's a movie, it's like an experiment to be like, like, maybe they went to a focus group and they're like, so what are the things that... Uh, are absolutely out of Keanu's depth. What do you think? And someone was just like, well, he's not the kind of actor who I think should be screaming in a car by himself. And the filmmaker right. like, put it in. Right. Well, even the whole like, conceit of the movie, like which actor would give you the absolute worst performance if you asked them to act out the feeling you get when you wake up and your dog has been murdered? <laughs> yeah. That's my Keanu. I was oh. laughing from oh. the moment he was grieving over his wife by the sink. 
Like from the initial like five <laughs> seconds. By the way, if you gotta go, go like John Wick's wife, where you maybe had like a long term horrible illness, but really you just fell down by the river one time and then you were dead. You know, sometimes you just fall down by the river and you're gone. Yeah. So anyway, the, this movie, if you, if you don't know what it's about, uh, John Wick is a um, an assassin with like a Herculean um, underground black market uh, backstory. Um, he's like apparently like the best there ever was. He got out to try to live uh, the quiet, straight life with his uh, with his wife, and uh, as as mentioned, she fell down by the river. Um, and then, <laughs> as, as her last act, she she mails him uh, a puppy because he needs something to love. Uh, and then, um, like the first time he's left his house in maybe months. Uh, he goes to the gas station where uh, Theon Greyjoy, with uh, <laughs> who speaks some decent Russian but doesn't have a Russian accent when he speaks English, um, <laughs> uh, says he wants to buy his Mustang. Uh, John Wick says it's not for sale. Uh, they sneak into his house. They beat him up. They kill his baby beagle. Uh, and then he wakes up and uh, revenge, wrath must be uh, enacted. I lost everything. That dog was a final gift from my dying wife. Jonathan. You got out once. You dip so much as a pinky back into this pond, you may find something reaching out to pull you back in. It's personal. Where'd you get that car? What does it matter? It's not what you did, son. It's who you did it to. Nobody? But nobody. Is John Wick. Yeah, so then we just sort of, again, in that five-act structure, see, like, several episodes with people from his past, and then they, like, hire, uh, what's-his-name to to kill him. Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as if naming Keanu Reeves' character John Wick wasn't ridiculous enough, <laughs> this movie... Uh, is crazy enough to make Willem Dafoe play an assassin named Marcus. Willem <laughs> Dafoe is playing like a Tom Jane character. <laughs> like, come on, John Wick. Um, yeah, but there are some great instances of the name. Well, John Willem Dafoe is also said. in Boondock Saints. To carry my point, that's right. I just love because so like, which Keanu Reeves is this? Because there's sort of two Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. There's Neo Keanu Reeves, which he discovered like in the early 2000s. And there's like oh, Keanu Reeves. Like 90s stoner Keanu Reeves? Like 90s stoner Keanu Reeves. Are we sure that this is either one of them? This might be. That's what I think it is. I think it's like. That's why I think the performance is so brilliant because I think he melds the two of like he just does not give a fuck. <laughs> like you have to know that getting in. Like his wife is dead and his dog is dead. This guy does not give a fuck. Yes, it's basically like if Kaiser Soze retired and like you went and like fucked with that dude and saw what would happen. It's a an assassin from hell movie. Yeah. except the protagonist is the titular assassin right exactly um when do you think in the production process they decided that the movie was going to be called john wick because i think that was a big moment for this movie (laughs) 
like when it got like a little bit of a grip on just the like the hair of camp or what <laughs> it's like they were sitting around like in a conference room somewhere and they were like brainstorming or something and they're like what should we call this movie it's like well what's the most interesting thing about it and they thought like really hard for 15 minutes somebody probably said something stupid like run all night <laughs> and then they're like you know what John Wick. That's right. the most interesting. Like just the, just his character, because that's ultimately what the movie is. Yeah, it hangs in Keanu. It is about this one guy. It's a character sketch. You know, I mean, all these movies really are right, but this one especially. You know, this one is like a. It's a sleeping giant type story. So the whole time you're just like, it's building on what is possible. Like you, like things you didn't. Oh, I didn't know he had that in him. You know what I mean? Right. Um, you see, so you're right. It really hangs on on him more than I think the other two kind of like build their own little universes. Although that this one is surprising, I think, in like... So the thing is, as I talked about earlier, like all these movies, these are such like straight line ideas for films. Like I was fucked over. I will now kill the person who did that. But like these movies have to be more than 20 minutes long. Right. Um, so like there, I was thinking of that quote from Kill Bill, uh, from Hanzo, who's just like, revenge is not a straight line, it's a forest. So all these movies have to like create these uh, these universes and these worlds to kind of complicate the journey back to the one goal the protagonist has. And in this one, it creates this underground network of assassins and this incredibly weird hotel where you pay for things in gold run by uh, Lieutenant Daniels from The Wire. Um, where you're like not allowed to, it's like a... a- uh, an assassin's safe haven. Exactly. It's like a, it's like a safe zone in tag. Yep. I think it's like I said at the beginning. I think it's just trying to get by on a really simple, silly premise, and then it has seen enough action movies that it's trying to think of like new, cool methods for hand-to-hand combat. And you know, the man who played Neo is up for that. Um, well, it's basically payback if they made it into a well-orchestrated, like, fight movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the same conceit. Like, he goes from this one life to back into this underworld and, like, kills all the bosses all the way to the top to the last level. Yeah. I mean, also also Kill Bill. <laughs> Our three movies are very similar this time. Right, right, right. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Um, but it is. But, like, your problems with payback, I think what's lacking for you was the fact that it was um it just doesn't have the action it doesn't have like the thing that it's trying to show off and i think for kill bill and for john wick it's like the choreography which is amazing but john wick's moving so quickly you know like yeah. when people stop to talk it's ridiculous but they never stop for long um i also yeah, really that's, liked, i mean that's smart i just really liked the this movie was just like we can really pull one it's like it was trying to shine a light by shining no lights, by shooting it in very low light and making really like quick cuts and then having like every scene and in like an elegant fade to black before the next like bout of quick violence. It's like a really weird trick. Like we'll make, the, we'll make people think this movie is a lot fancier than it actually is. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that is sort of interesting that it's like, you're looking at it. You're like, is that light on? <laughs> Like, what wattage is, is that on? 
There's a dad. Do they turn it on all the lights in the next room and leave the door open a sliver? <laughs> but there definitely is light. It's yeah. just not facing you. <laughs> Nothing better than a good 10-watt bulb, I tell you. There you go. This is a 10-watt bulb of a movie, but I like sometimes that. you just want a 10-watt bulb of a movie. Sometimes you just do. Because, um, yeah, it's just like a a silly dark movie that I even think gets kind of like boring by the end, honestly, by the time he's chasing the, the, I think all three of these movies have boring moments where they suffer from like a, a badass in transit problem where the director thinks it's really interesting to see like someone looking really determined while driving or walking. And by the end, it's just like, I'm done with that. Thank you. As we like get to the final boss. Um, it's so interesting, though. I, I tell you what I love about all three of these movies, if we can just talk broad brushstrokes for a second. Do it up. It's so, like with these five-act structures, they're so perfectly like cut up with six commercials and thrown onto TNT. <laughs> Narratology as capitalism. But I think ultimately, I just... This movie's I, I think not this good, movie, good. This movie's not good, good. Ultimately... I just don't think it has enough of this just like raw ambition and like like lightning striking once fate to it that it can pull it off completely. It's it's really getting by. I mean, cuz if you imagine the I mean, take take Uma Thurman out of Kill Bill and imagine the various movies that could happen between those characters. It's incredible. Like, that's often what makes Tarantino's vignettes so great, is you feel like they have lives unto themselves. Take John Wick out of this movie, and it's really just the most boring of tropes wandering around in the dark. Right. So, yeah. It's, it's like when you're driving game. alone at night, like in a... On the outskirts of town, the only thing that exists is like 10 feet in front of you and 10 feet behind you <laughs> in John Wick's world. Just constantly nighttime. That's amazing. That's really well put. Thank um, you. But a stellar bad good movie. Stellar. Oh, it is one of the premier bad good movies of our time. Absolutely. And it really is of our time too. 2014. Yeah, I think, well, this, this genre is just so ripe for... Bad, good. My favorite movie to discuss. Yeah. Anything else, buddy? Hey, man, this has been a real pleasure. Oh, wow. Hey, let's uh, one of us never do the other one so wrong as to lead to this kind of carnage. I feel like you, if anyone would do the wrongdoing, it would be you against me, and then I will I will kill the hell out of you. Well, see, that makes me want to respond in kind, but I'll let it pass. Why do you think, why would, why? I think it's going to be you. I think it's going to be like something well-intentioned, but ultimately you're, and I'm going to, I will come for my $70,000. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try to get all the people I love out of the way first. You know, maybe the podcast will go viral, but then you get like your own podcast. I will murder you. (laughs) All right, friend. Um, well, on that note, let's, uh, shall we call it a show? Dude, this has been such a pleasure. What a, what a time to be alive. People have been asking if we're back. Yeah, I think we're back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, check out the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, all those places. Follow us uh, on Twitter and Facebook at BeRealGuys, real with two E's like a film reel. Uh, email us at BeRealGuys at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back with some uh, some guests and some sadly less ridiculous movies uh, coming soon. But man, what a 
What a good indulgent category this was, buddy. Like I said, great time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, you already said it. All right, bye. <laughs>